podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Mike Lee. I'm co-host of The Spurs Show. This is a tribute show to our ex-player, manager and fleetingly chief executive with contributions from people who knew him, from close friends to ex-players and fans who witnessed up close some of his exciting teams. We span his time as a player at Chelsea, Spurs and Palace to his coaching and managerial career at places like QPR and Barcelona and back to Spurs and then the pinnacle of his career, coaching England at the 96 Euros. With contributions from former friend Norman Giller, ex-player Barry Silkman, football writers Graham Hunter, Jerry Cox and Martin Lipton and comedians Alex Lowe and Kevin Day and fellow Palace fan Graham Smith. A man like Venables deserves a proper tribute, warts and all, and we hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. Terry Venables, a life in football. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And the Spurs go marching on. Ah, lovely. Norman Gillis with us uh, to pay tribute to his old friend, Terry Venables. Norman, thank you so much for coming on this show. Now, not many people can say they knew Terry from, what, 16 years old, I'm guessing, when you first met well, him? Well, I first met uh, Terry at Stanford Bridge. I was introduced to him when I was visiting uh, my old buddy, Jimmy Greaves. Uh-huh. And Jimmy said, I want you to meet Young Tell. And that's how we knew Venables in those days, Young Tell, which makes me feel very ancient today. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he had just won his uh, youth team cap for England. Right. Yeah. So um, that was his second cap because he'd won a schoolboy cap when he was um, 15 years old. 16, he won a youth cap. And as we know, he went on to get the only player ever in the history of football to get the full house. The full set, including amateur cap, which they exactly. did away with. Exactly. So nobody can ever match it because no, right. they don't have amateur football anymore. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And how did you find him at such a young age? What, what, what was he like? Did you see the traits that repel him forward even then? T- Terry didn't change from the first time I met him to the last time I met him. He no. was always a swaggering cockney. <laughs> and, um, and then... Uh, later, a couple of months after meeting him at Stanford Bridge, I went to Bonham Road, where his, his dad, Fred, mm. ran a cafe, and I found out just why Terry was like he was, because he was um, a miniature Fred Venables. Really? And Fred was a, a very strong force throughout um, Terry's life. And um, Fred, Fred Venables was Terry Venables Revisited. Well, and um, they were both great characters, and you couldn't get a word in when you were with the pair of them. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I also think his his dad was offered a job as a part time scout, even at that stage. Yeah, oh, um, Fred Fred was very knowledgeable. I mean, he'd been a good footballer in his youth, and yeah. um, he was very knowledgeable about the game. And yeah. he is, he was the one who advised um, Terry to to go to Chelsea rather than um, West Ham, who were very very keen on signing him at the time. And he had a bit of a kind of love-hate relationship with Doherty, who I who spoke very highly of him for many years, but two big characters in a dressing room. Um, um, unfortunately, it became more hate than love in the later <laughs> stages. But um, early on, uh, Tommy made him his skipper. Mm. And um, they were ter- 
tremendous characters, but but too strong for each other. They 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 had a personality clash, and um, it reached the point where uh, Tommy said to him one day, he said, uh, "Venables, who's who's managing this club? You or me?" And Terry said, "Neither of us." <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, God bless him, collapsed on his knees laughing because he he realised how just how witty Ter- Terry had been. Well, Venables famously <laughs> said they'd fall out, but then they come in with a joke and they had the same sense of humour. It sounds like that's the thing that really kind of bonded them. Yeah, they, 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 <clears throat> the finishing blow came when uh, they lost the semi-final of the cup in uh, 1965 against Leeds, <clears throat> and um, and Tommy praised the players for their efforts in the dressing room and then came outside and talked to us, the pressmen, and absolutely destroyed the the, the team, and, and in particular Terry Venables. Really? Normally coaches and, uh, do it the other way around, don't they? They normally give the players the bollocking and yeah, back them as yeah. Terry always did publicly about his players. Yeah, and uh, but uh, that, that, that was the end of it for Terry, and uh, within six months he was at Tottenham. Yeah, and uh, I mean, going to Tottenham under the great Bill Nick, and I know later on at the end of his career... He kind of said he didn't really, I wouldn't say like Bill Nick's the wrong word, but kind of they didn't sort of, he didn't get on, he didn't have a great relationship with him, I think is the nicest thing well, to put. Well, what we have to remember is when Terry was at Chelsea, he was king of the castle. Right. And uh, he arrived at Chelsea, um, Tottenham to find that he was just one of the minnows. Right. And everybody, everybody was in the shadow there of Dave Mackay. And Ter- Terry um, foolishly decided to challenge the great Mackay, for who was king of Tottenham Hotspur. And um, they were playing um, a five-a-side match in the gymnasium and it finished up with fisticuffs between Dave and Terry. And Terry was wearing his wedding ring and uh, he, he cut uh, Dave, Dave uh, over the top of his eye and it became a really nasty incident. But um, mm. Dave, being the great man that he was, um, shook hands with um, Terry, and um, they became good buddies. Uh-huh. But what we have to remember, in the, in those early days at Tottenham, Terry, um, from being the master at, um, at Chelsea, where he was adored by the fans, he came to Tottenham to find that the fans didn't like him at all because he was being compared with the, the one and only uh, Danny Blanchfair. This is a problem a lot of Tottenham players have had. They come in, they, they're seen to replace a certain player and, and that they struggle with, with, with the Tottenham crowd. Explain to people who, who didn't see him play, like myself, what kind of player was he? I mean, obviously good enough because he got, an, you know, you said he got an England caps and, and whatever. He, he, he was probably the most creative player in the, in the land at the time. And um, the only player I couldn't compare him with was Johnny Haynes at Fulham. For wow. being able to give a 30, 40 yard pass. And and Terry at Chelsea had all these young players around him. They were, they were still the, the, the dribs and drabs of the Drake Ducklings were still playing. Mm. So he had all these youngsters willing to run and chase the ball, and they would chase his long passes. Mm. When he got to um, Tottenham, he's got um, the likes of Jimmy Greaves, and Jimmy wanted the ball played to feet. And, and Terry used to play in front of him, expecting Terry, Jimmy to run after it. And then no way was Jimmy going to run after a ball given by anybody. <laughs> and uh, he wanted it as a feat. And, and Terry just couldn't uh, grow accustomed to the new way of playing, which was play at the feet, not give it to them 
into into space where they had to run after it. Right. And uh, it, it took at least six months for Terry and Jimmy get to get their game together. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and it, it did. I mean, he, he joined sort of. Uh, we made his debut in May nineteen sixty six, and obviously uh, the following year uh, we reached and won the FA Cup ironically <laughs> against his former club, which uh, must against have been, Chelsea. Uh, yes, and. And uh, that that was in the days of uh, Chopper Harris, and uh, Ch- Chopper had uh, decided he was going to kick Venables out of the game. But um, Terry was too clever for him, and um, as, as we know, Tottenham won the match two one, and um, and Chelsea were never really in that game. A lot of people said were well, there actually thought Venables was was the man of the match. He was Ter- Ter- Terry <clears throat> lifted his game, <clears throat> and it's probably the best game he played for Chelsea. Because so, so much was at stake for him. It yeah. was a pride thing. Yeah. What, 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 what you know? I mean, I, I mean, he's, he's he's publicly said. We're not saying anything that uh, he didn't say. He he, he didn't. And, and you've you've already mentioned it. He felt he wasn't appreciated by the Spurs fans. You mentioned maybe because he maybe was seen as a replacement to Blanche Flower. What, what else was there? I mean, God. I mean, Tottenham boo boys over the years from Davin Sanchez to John Pratt. We've had we've had previous, haven't we, the Tottenham fans? Yeah, but Michael, don't let's forget we were coming out of the darkest period in Tottenham's history. In that 1964-65 period, we, we we lost Danny to retirement because his wonky knee had last given in. We lost Dave Mackay to two broken legs. And worst of all, we lost dear John White to a streak, streak of lightning on the golf course. And um, Terry arrived... In, in 1966, when they were just coming out of that very dark period. And uh, the, the fans were trying to compare Alan Mallory and Terry Venables with John White and Danny Blanchard. And there's no way in a million years were they going to touch that sort of um, rapport that uh, John and um, Danny had. I mean that 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 was made in heaven that that partnership, and um, Mallory was a, a, a great player in his own right, but totally different to Danny. Danny was an artist, whereas um, Alan, as as we all know, became known as the Tank, and that's the way he played the game. He used to play aggressively, and um, he he was the, one of the hardest men in 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 the game at the time, Alan. But, but always within the rules. And um, Danny never ever tackled in his life. Danny used to play uh, like a sheepdog with, 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 uh, with sheep. He used to corral them and push them towards Dave Mackay and let Dave Mackay do the hard stuff. But Danny didn't try to do the hard tackling stuff because his knees wouldn't stand up to it. Yeah, after that cut-winning side of 67, we then... We did struggle. We finished, I think, seventh and sixth in 67, 68, 68, 69. And that's when Bill Nick accepted an offer for Venables for 70,000 reported. I mean, we bought it for 80, so not bad business. Uh, did, did Terry want to go? Yeah, yeah t- Terry, Terry saw QPR as um, he, he always had ambitions to coach. And he saw this way of getting, get, getting his personality onto a team, which he never could at Tottenham because there were so many strong personalities at, at the club at the time. And um, 
when he went to QPR, he, he was the king of the castle again. I see. I see. Because it was Les Allen was manager, and Gordon Jago came in. How how did and Jim Gregory was 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 the manager? How did Terry get on with Jim Gregory no, Jim, and, Jim, and Jim, Gordon Jago? Jim Gregory was the chairman, and, and Jim Jim Gregory and Terry Venables were very similar characters. Both were always looking to do deals, and uh, I mean, all the way through his playing career, Terry, Terry was always looking for outside interests. Yeah, he was, he was um, never ever satisfied with with just doing one thing. He always had at least four balls in the air at once, and God could he juggle them. <laughs> yeah, and you, I mean, you you mentioned uh, he wants to get into coaching. That kind of he, he did start supervising stuff at QPR. Bobby Campbell was a coach, went to Arsenal. And I believe Jago let Venables then supervise some training sessions at QPR. Yeah, and it, it came so naturally to um, to Terry. I mean, he, he was a born born teacher, and uh, he he could speak the footballer's language, and um, he he really came into his own when he went to Palace from from QPR, <clears throat> and there he worked with Malcolm Allison. Well, Malcolm was the most innovative coach. I've, I've ever known in, in a game. I mean, he he had ideas way before his time, and he passed those ideas on to Terry, and together they were a hell of a force. Three kicks, Bell's danger to Belgium. Venables to Greaves. Jimmy tries hard, but it's just wide. England see a chance now. The inside left, Terry Venables to Hinton. His cross is deflected by Verbeest. Goal. We drew and I made the goal. And then I got chosen again to play in Holland again. Made the equalising goal. I got chosen a third time and I was injured. And Johnny Byrne come in my place. And then I never got the place back again. So I was in the, the World Cup 40 that eventually won the World Cup. I was in the 40, but I never made the 22. So I just was outside it. But I was there cheering. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I've asked, I've asked sort of everyone on, on this show the same question, and everyone's had a, a kind of different theory. I'd love to get your theory. Why, and this is jumping way ahead now, why do you think after the England job, 96, when he was, a, a, you know, a national hero, uh, because of the style of play and how close we got to getting to the final. Why don't you think after that he ever really got another big job again? What's your theory on that? Well, if any Aussies watching this, they will disagree. He took the Australian <laughs> job and got them to the brink of the World Cup for the first time ever. Yeah. And uh, and that was soon after guiding England to the semi-finals of, 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 the, of the Euros. 
And uh, but uh, Terry hated it. I once wrote uh, it was a piece I wrote in the Daily Express, and I called him the nearly man of football. And did Terry hate that? And uh, in fact, we didn't talk for about a year oh, really? after I'd written it. Right. He, he was, he's very sensitive. Had right. big ego, you know, Terry. Very yeah. big ego. Mm. And uh, when we, when you were with Terry, you had to accept that you you, you were second second to Terry Venables. He was never ever second in a conversation. He'd always be the wittiest. And uh, I, I I I love Terry, but, but he did have warts. And uh, I th- I think in his older age. He accepted that uh, if he could have had his life over again, he'd been a bit less less leery. I mean, he he wanted to take charge. No matter what he was doing, if he was if he was playing um, a game of uh, Ludo, he'd want he'd he'd want to run it and show and and that, and be the man who had all the witty remarks. And I, I mean, I, I didn't mind taking second place to him because he, he was one of the wittiest men ever to cross my path. But uh, when I, I like to think I, I can sometimes get in with the pun, or say the pun is mightier than the sword, and but I couldn't compete with Terry. He could, I mean, just just imagine I used to spend a hell of a lot of time with Terry and Jimmy Greaves. Can you can you imagine trying to compete with those two? You can't just sit back and watch them go. You know exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, so you think? But I'm mean, okay. Australia's side. I know he he tried his hand at Leeds and Middlesbrough. Don't you think it's surprising that he didn't get one other big club that sort of said galvanize what you did at England, what you did at Tottenham? Um, or do you think the do you think the England job to him was the pinnacle and kind of maybe didn't recover? Uh, here, that he's obviously he's falling out and dealing with the in, FA. In England was the pinnacle for him, and what you have to remember is he always had ambitions way beyond football. Terry wanted to run the world. I mean. Um, the, the mess he got into at Tottenham, you know, by, by, by uh, only uh, he saved the club really, but by bringing in Sugar, and um, and he thought he thought not only could he compete with Sugar, that he could master Sugar, uh, but Sugar was um, properly wealthy, and the ter- Terry was always s- stretching to compete with a, a multi-millionaire. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I mean, you know, you've known him for, for so long and, you know, God, I mean, it's it, it's another one of your dear friends uh, departed again, <laughs> which is... Well, I've, I'm, I'm definitely got one foot in the grave now. I mean, I've lost so many of them now. Uh, I mean, of the 66 team, for instance, there's, there's only Jeff left. And and uh, how, how terribly ironic that the Bob, Bobby Charlton went just a month before Terry with exactly the same disease. And it's 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 frightening how many of my dear friends, old, old friends, have, have gone to Alzheimer's or, or to dementia. You know, it's a, it, it, you know, you really we really do have to look and say, should they be heading that bloody ball? You know, well, there's got to be a link. It's it's it's, it's got there's got to be a link. I mean, it's um, how do you think? How do you think Terry should be remembered? What do you think his legacy Terry, is? And... Terry, first of all, I would remember him for his wit. Yeah. <laughs> I know that won't please him. I'm not thinking of his football first, but he was such a witty character. He always had a comeback. He always had the line that scriptwriters take hours thinking up. Terry could come up off the top of his head 
um, then I'd remember him for being a great organiser, um, the coach. Um, his, his strength was being able to talk to players in their own language on a one-to-one basis. And you talk to any player who played under Terry Venables and they can only speak highly of him. Thirdly, I think of him as a schemer who was um, on the football pitch. Uh, his, his passing, as I said, was all in the Johnny Haynes class, but he, he had to have certain players around him to take advantage of the of the wonderful creation. He had a very creative mind, mm. but so, so many of his players weren't on the same same wavelength. If, I mean, his, his, his wit came out, for, for instance, I was watching him play um, for Chelsea in a Fairs Cup match against an Italian team, and the Chelsea were awarded them a free kick 20 yards out. And uh, Johnny Hollins was on the ball. Terry's alongside him. And uh, the, the, the wall, back in those days, they didn't have the spray. So <laughs> the wall wasn't back 10, back 10 yards. And, and Terry started very loudly and very obviously counting out the, the 10 yards. And he went, one, two, three. And he's walking towards the Italian wall. Oh, Parting because there's no way they're going to go back any further. And they're parting and letting him walk through. And as he got through, he gone one, two, three, four, five. Give it, John. John's passed the ball through the hole that he's created, and he's pushed the ball into the net. Oh, shot the amazing. And that, 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 amazing. That, summed, that summed up Jim Terry's wit. He could outthink anybody. Wow. That means to outthink an Italian defence. That's amazing. Oh, God, I'd love to have seen that guy. That, that's extraordinary. It's, it's, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Michael, but how, how sad that we're talking about uh, an event that uh, has shaken us all, even though he'd been ill for a long while. So when he hung up his boots after a knee injury, uh, he then became a coach under Malcolm Allison, starting the 75-76 season before he then took over from Malcolm Allison, and I believe his first signing was our next guest, the ex-professional footballer and now football agent, Barry Silkman. How are you, Barry? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm really, really good. Lovely to see you again. Uh, you. It's been a while. Me and, me and Barry used to play some awful football in the Maccabi Masters League for it many, wasn't, many it years. Wasn't, it wasn't that good. <laughs> if it was awful, still playing? it would have been good. I'm still playing. We, wow, that's we amazing. We played on Sunday. We actually won 6-1. It was a miracle, but the other team were worse than what they, they were when we were playing that. So wow. something. That's amazing. Well, well done for still playing that. That's amazing. <laughs> really amazing. Obviously, when Venables took over at Crystal Palace, they were a third division team. There were mainly youth team players, and he took them from that to become, as famously, the team of the eighties. How did you end up there? How did he? How we? How did you end up on his radar? Um, it was strange, actually. I was at Hereford, right, and we got promotion to Division Two, which is now the Championship. And the manager called me in, John Silly. It was the strangest conversation I've ever had. I was out of contract. And I really didn't want to stay. I, I was I didn't enjoy the football there. The lads were great, but John Sillett, football-wise for me, was the opposite to what how I wanted to play and what I believed. And I was probably the same for him, really. And but off the pitch, we got on great. But on the pitch, it was like disaster. 
And he called me in his office at the end of the season. I knew he wasn't going to offer me a new contract. But he said the most strangest thing. He said, Silky, thanks very much. While you've been in here, while I've been here for the two years you've given, etc. As you can imagine, I'm not going to offer you a new contract. But just to let you know, as I'm not offering you a new contract, Terry Venables would love to speak to you at Crystal Palace. And I thought, has he lost the plot? Hereford, who were like, you know, basically a very small club, and Crystal Palace, who were a huge club, he wants me at Crystal Palace. This has got to be a wind-up, yeah. So now I'm waiting for the punchline. But I walked out the office and there was no punchline. Mm. So I came home and I thought, I wonder if Terry Venables is going to contact me. And you're obviously a London boy, so the allure of moving back to London must have been pretty big. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, when I was at Hereford, I was coming back to London at weekends a lot. Right. My mum, I was going back home to my mum and dad yeah. who lived in the East End. Yeah. And then I met a girl called Mandy, and Mandy was living and working in London. So really, London for me was the only place to be. So I came back and I got a phone call from a guy called Arnie Warren. And he said, Silky, this is Arnie Warren. And I'd known Arnie. And I said, oh, Arnie, where are you working now? He said, I'm working at Crystal Palace and Terry Venables wants to have a chat to you. So he said, can we meet at a hotel? So we met at a hotel in the West End and just off of Seymour Street and went into the hotel. It was Churchill's. We went in the hotel, met with Terry. And he said, look, I'd love to sign you, but it's my first job. And I think the chairman and the board are going to think, what's he doing signing a player who Hereford have just thrown out? And he might think that I've lost the plot. But I've known you since you were 16. I've known Terry since I was 16. And the biggest thing with Terry with me, he always used to say to me, you're the best judge of a footballer I've ever met in my life. And at that time, he was a player. Mm. And he used to say, what do you think of this one and this one? And then I'd say to him, you know, there's a player in a lower league, this player or that player, they're going to become really good. And they did. Some of them actually became top international players. You're like a player agent before your time. And then people would say as a player, he was a coach before his time. Yeah, it's really weird. And I think that's why we got on so well. And he said to me, I love the style of football you play. I saw you when you was a kid. But... I can't sign you straight away. Would you come pre-season training? So I said, yeah, sure. And I went home. I told my mum and dad. And my dad said, you've got a problem. Because I've had a phone call from a guy called Tommy McInerney, who was the manager of Aldershots. And he wants to sign you. So now your problem is, do you go to Crystal Palace on trial? and hope that they sign you? Or do you go and get a two- or three-year contract to Aldershot? They're presuming they were a fourth-division Aldershot? They were They were in the second division. Oh, wow. Which okay. is, or the third division. Right. What is the second division, first division now? To us, the, third, the old third division. Third, the old third division, which yeah. is the, yeah. the, the, sec, the, the division one now. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I, I better ring Tommy McInerney because I, I you know, 
I speak to everyone. You've got to be polite. And I phoned him up and I said, Tom, it's really, really lovely of you to want to sign me. I said, but I'm going to go to Crystal Palace on trial. And to be fair to him, he said, look, I think you're good enough to play for them. Mm. I was just hoping you would sign for me without thinking you would. And I wish you the best of luck. And I hope it works out for you there, which I thought was really lovely. You know, I mean, he 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 certainly got. I mean, your, your prime is on. He certainly got people from smaller clubs. Ratchet Harcoop from Feltham. Um, there's talk of when he got. Um, I think with that one, I think there was talk of he put some of his own money in. He was kind of to be a young manager. He really kind of wheeled and dealed, and that kind of stuck with him. One could argue all his career. He became a bit known as a bit of a wheeler. Not that there's anything wrong in that because at this level. You kind of have to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pete was still Wheeler and Deal now, but just at a much higher level. Yeah. <laughs> gone into the tens of millions now instead of the tens of thousands, yeah. you know. So I went to Crystal Palace. The first week's training I was there, the very first day, he called me over. So I joined them after about three days of them training because I'd already had a holiday booked. And he said, mm. look, I don't want to interfere with your holiday. Come when you come back. So I've always known you to be really fit. And I do train when I'm away on holiday anyway. So I joined him on about the third day and he called me over and he said, I want you to do me a favour. We've got a player here. And last year he played centre-half in the reserves. He played central midfield and centre-forward. I know you're on trial, but can you do me a favour and look at him after a week or two, let me know what you think wow. of him Amazing. as a player and where you think his best position is. The very first day's training, this is no word of a lie, after two hours, we had our lunch break, and as we were walking off the pitch, I went, TV. He said, enjoy it, Silks? I said, yeah, really enjoyed it. I went right back. He went, what are you talking about? I said, that player you asked me to look at, he's a right back. He went, Silk, you've only been here two hours. I said, wait, at least a week. So I said, I'm telling you, I haven't got to wait. He's a right back. And he said, but how did you work that out? He's never been right back. He's a centre forward or central midfield or centre half. I said, close your eyes. Now we're on the side of the pitch. He said, what do you mean? I said, just close your eyes. Closed his eyes and I told him everything that the player did good. And I said, don't make a mistake, TV, of doing what a lot of other managers do. They look at what a player can't do. When you mention a player, they go, oh, he can't do this or he can't do that. Remember, you never, ever buy a player or play a player on what he can't do. You'll never buy a player or play a player on what he can do. So only ever look at what a player can do. Look at how good he is at doing it and then see whether he's good enough to get in your team. And he went, Silk, that's the best advice. Meanwhile, I've still got my eyes shut. (laughs) Yeah. So, So then I've described everything this player did. And I said, what position have I just described? I did did everything he did good in the training. He said, you've described a fullback. I said, that's what he is. So after a week, he said, we're going pre-season. We're going to um, Holland next week. I want you to come with us. So I went to Holland. I played the first game in which we won, I think, 6-1. And afterwards, Johnny Cartwright, he was the youth team manager there. And he called me over in the evening, and he said, Silky, Terry absolutely loves you. He's going to offer you a contract tomorrow. He loves you. And then the following day, he offered me a contract. And by the way, 
the player I said was a right back was he played him right back, Paul Inchelwood, and he ended up he ended up playing England under twenty ones within it within a season. His whole career took off, and that was the start of Terry and I's relationship. And he he signed me. We become really good friends. He used to ask my opinion about every player. In fact, he even said to me, we've got a brilliant young fullback here, Kenny Sanson, and I'm not sure whether I should throw him straight in the team. And I said, is he good enough? And he went, he is Silks. I said, then play him. So it doesn't matter if he's 17 or 47. It doesn't matter. Just play him. And he did. And we got very, very close. We got so close, in fact, that we started going out to dinner together, to Morton's nightclub in Barclay Street, always speak about football. All night we would speak about players, speak about football. He would tell me the players he was going to think of signing. Do I know them? What do I think of them? And he was massively influential in my career at Crystal Palace. And then I moved on from Crystal Palace and Terry moved on and went. ended up at Queen's Park Rangers. And about a week into his tenure at Queen's Park Rangers, I got a phone call from Arnie Warren, who was still working at Crystal Palace. So um, so Arnie said to me at night back at the hotel where you met Terry, and I'm thinking, well, who can it be? It's not Terry because Arnie's still at Crystal Palace. Maybe the new manager at Crystal Palace wants to sign me back. So I turned up at the hotel, walked in, and it was Terry. And he got up, gave me a big hug, and he said, Silks, you know, I'm at Queen's Park Rangers now. We're three off the bottom of the league. I want you to come and join us, and I think if you come, you'll take us up the league. So I said, okay, I'll come. And within a week, I was there. I'm playing for him at Queen's Park Rangers, and we actually went 15 games unbeaten. We went from three off the bottom. First game was at Grimsby, freezing cold. It was nil-nil. The pitch was rock hard. Oh, God, it was freezing. Um, but we went 15 games without getting beat, and we went from three off the bottom, from eight from the top. Um, and Terry and I remained really good friends, always, always speaking, non-stop speaking. Um, and then he went, found himself at Barcelona. I mean, what manager goes from Queen's Park Rangers to Barcelona? It's like, it, it, it's crazy. He, um, I mean, he obviously went, I mean, he, he had a history. He got you effectively one of his ex-players, Tay Fennick, Mickey Flanagan, John Burridge. He did like going back. Once he liked a player and thought this player's right for me, he, he he did show loyalty. What's interesting, speaking, going forward about the Euro 96, and you speak to players about why they liked him. He was a fellow ex-player. He understood them. He was one of the lads, if you want. Do you think that's slightly unfair? A lot of people said that he was actually quite a disciplinarian. That uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't take the big Mickey out of him too much. No, he knew exactly what to do. He was a brilliant coach. He was by a mile, by light years, better than any coach I've ever worked with or seen. Really? Light years. Oh, light years. I mean, we used to do a thing, we call it closing down from the front. Start at Crystal Palace. He used to say, David Swindlers, you're the trigger. When they get it at the back, you go and close them down. The minute you go, the next player goes in, the midfield player goes in, and we all squeeze them from the front. So we called it closing down from the front. They now call it the high press. 
They've changed the name to make out somebody else in recent years has invented it. It's complete and utter nonsense. Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, none of them invented it. Terry Venables invented it. They're all following Terry Venables' lead about how to drop off, play on the counter-attack. No one had done that before Terry Venables. And now they do it and they go, oh, we're playing on the counter-attack. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp first started this. It's like, it's like a joke. And Alan Shearer, in fact, said it on television not that long ago. He said, they talk about the high press. He said, Terry was doing this when I was playing for England in the early 90s. We called it closing down. And it didn't. And he, he said it was done before that. And Terry was doing it in 1976. So Terry was light years ahead of everyone. And what Terry did as well, which was quite brilliant, he could coach players individually. So he would coach you as a team, the back four, when to drop off, when to push up in midfield, when to squeeze, when to close down, when to give them room, when to show them to the right, when to show them inside, when to show them outside. And then he would take players on their own and show them how to become better players on their own. And I've never come across a coach ever in my whole football career who could get a team as a team to operate and become better as a team and individuals to take them on their own and improve them. And Terry and I used to say the same thing, that football is not a team game. Football is an individual game. It always has been because I've never seen 10 individuals play crap and the team were brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Say, well, how did he play? He was useless. What about him? He was useless. What about him? He was useless. But we won 5 0 and we were brilliant. Well, how would we be brilliant if everyone was useless? Yeah. So, in effect, every player individually, the better they play, the better the team plays. And I, I always said that when I was a kid. And Terry had the same belief. And he had this way of working with players that he could get his point across after one go. And a lot of players are not that bright. You know, Terry used to say to me, Silk, if you ever become a coach, be a bit patient. And he always used to tell me I'd be a, a brilliant manager and a brilliant coach. And I never, I went into it, but not like I should have done. And in fact, when I was at Queen's Park Rangers, I was 28. And about three quarters of the way through the season, Terry called me in his office and I thought, well, what does he want? Nothing's gone wrong. Everything's going right. Yeah. And he sat me down and it was on a Friday. And I went, don't tell me, TV, you're leaving me out of the team tomorrow. It went, Silk, I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> I said, but I'm going to put something to you. He said, under normal circumstances, I wouldn't say this to any player in the season. And I certainly wouldn't say it on a Friday the day before a game. But you're different because nothing worries you. You never, and that's how I've always been. Nothing's ever worried me. He said, I want you to seriously consider packing up playing. I want you to coach the reserve team. I think you would be a fantastic coach. And if I leave here in the next two years, I think that you could take over as manager and you'll be a 30-year-old manager. 
He said, you can still play in the reserves if you want to play, because I know you love playing. You're still really young, but no one's ever going to give you a job. No one. And I said, why don't you think anyone will give me a job? He said, because like me, you're ahead of your time. You're very opinionated and you're very direct. And a lot of people don't like that. Mm. But I love it. Mm. So I'll give you a job, but I think you find no one else will. And I went home to my girlfriend. I said, I think Terry's gone mad. (laughs) (laughs) Why not (laughs) the conversation? And I said to her, am I really playing that bad, man? I said, I thought I was playing really well. Mm. Yeah. And she went, well, all the players think you're playing well because they all say how much they love playing with you. I said, well, Terry wants me to pack up. (laughs) And I told her what he said, and she said, what do you think? I said, I think he's mad. And then I went in on the Monday. We played on the Saturday. I remember playing and winning. And I went and see him on the Monday. I went, TV, do you know what? I'd rather just carry on playing. He said, Silk, I fully understand what you're saying, but in 10 years' time, You'll come to me and you'll say to me, I made a mistake. And he was right. Wow. He was That's absolutely spot on. Yeah, he was spot on. Amazing and story. He then, yeah. And he then went to Barcelona. He was at Barcelona a matter of a week and he phoned me. And I remember the phone ringing and oh, there's my home line. It's no mobiles. Didn't have a mobile, I don't think. No, did did I have a didn't have a mobile then? No. Don't think I had a mobile. I remember answering the phone and uh this boy would go, Silks TV. I went, TV, how are you? How's Spain? He said, wonderful, but I need to ask you a question. So I said, go on. He said, I've got this small problem. Tell me what you would do. He said, I know what I want to do, and I know what I think I'm going to do. I said, but, he said to me, but, tell me what you would do. I said, what? He said, I've got Maradona, and his legs have gone. But they want everything to go through Maradona. All the players, they just give it to Maradona, give it to Maradona. And I've been watching them now for a week in training, and everything slows up with Maradona. And you know me, I like to play excellent football, but I like to play it quick. I don't like to stop, go backwards, go sideways. I want to go forward, but I want to go forward with excitement, with pace, with individual players. And as soon as it goes to him, it's as though everything stops. So I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, I want to get rid of him. I said, well, go and tell the president you want to get rid of him. He said, Silk, the president loves him. He'll go mad. He said, when I come here, all the president spoke about was Maradona and how unbelievable he is. He said, but Silk, he's not unbelievable. His legs have gone. He said, I've got a midfield player here called Bernd Schuster. So I said, oh, the German. He said, yeah, he said, Silk, he's brilliant. I need everything to go through Bernd Schuster. If I can get and adapt the team to everything to go through Bernd Schuster, I'll win the league. I can't win the league with Maradona. I said, well, then you've got to go and tell the president. I said, you've got to tell the president. He said, yeah, that's what I want to do. But I just wanted to speak to you because you're not inside the club. I've got great respect for you with your football knowledge. So how do I do it? I said, just go and tell him. 
I said, TV, how many conversations have you and I had where we both said the same thing? That as you're a manager, you are only ever in a position of strength once, really. And that is unless you are the best manager in the world, and everyone knows you as the best manager in the world, not that you are the best manager or you are the best coach, everyone knows you as that. Right now, in my opinion, you are the best in the world. But no one knows you as that because you've come from Queen's Park Rangers. So you've got to prove that you're the best. I said, now, in a position of strength is once, as we say, when you first get a job. Because a lot of people say you're in a position of strength when you win the league. But you're not because then every top manager in the world wants your job. So now you're under pressure because if you don't win the league the following year, you're gone. So in effect, your only position of strength is when you first walk in a club. I said, so you've got to go and tell him, I want him. About four or five days later, Terry called me. It might have been a week later. And he said, Silks, Maradona's gone. I told the president, don't want him, can't play him. He said, the president wasn't happy, but he accepted what I've said to him, but I've put myself under pressure now. I've got to win the league. I've got no option. He said, but we only lost the league last year by, I think he said five points, which nowadays would be seven points. He said, if I can't turn them round that much, then I'm no good anyway. And I said to him, I don't suppose you're going to come and buy me now, are you? I said, you made me your first signing at Palace, your first signing at QBR. I said, what about Barcelona? He said, so let's just stay on the end of the phone. I went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tell everyone the same story. And in fact, I, I put a photo up on Facebook with Terry and I the other day. And we were at a do for Stan Bowles. I did all the talking at a Stan Bowles function because Stan's got Alzheimer's. And it was in a place called Hatchets in uh, in uh, Shepherd's Market. In Shepherd's Market. And um, I stood up and did this speech. And, and while I was talking, I told a few football jokes. And one of them I said, I said, this is a true story. I said, Tim Terry was there. I said, TV, say if this is true or not. I said, the first player Terry signed at Palace when he got the job was me. I said, true or not, TV? He stood up, he went through silks, and there was about 500 people there. I said, the second job we had was Queen's Park Rangers. The first player he signed was me. I went, TV, true or not? He stood up, he went through silks. said, the third job was Barcelona. I went, what the fuck happened? I'm still waiting. And the place just <laughs> burst out laughing. And he stood up, he said, that's also true silks. That's lovely. And, um, well, I mean, the Maradona story is interesting because Maradona – Really respected, so I've been told, Venable's been so straight, so good, so much so that many years on, when there was a big world charity event, Maradona then in his pomp said, the only person who's going to manage this World eleven, Terry Venables. So even though Venables moved him out, and as, as I know from uh, Steve Archibald, as Maradona's leaving the airport, Steve Archibald is coming in. Coming in, yeah. No one had heard of. They um the, the the president wants him. Hugo Sanchez was waiting to be signed, and Venables didn't know much about him. Anyone and one Archibald, who you know we obviously knew him in our country, but certainly wasn't known in Spain. Yeah, so clearly he had an eye for a player, 
and more importantly, knew the way he wanted to play and was absolutely blinkered about this is how I need to do it, which is an amazing attribute to have in any any walk of life. I yeah, think. and it was, it was a brilliant coach here in the way that during the game, if you needed to change tactics, he could change. If his stomach was going wrong, he could see it in a split second and he would change tactics within a minute. And you knew exactly what you had to do because he would say, look, this is how we're playing. But if we have to, this is what we're going to go to. And everyone knew exactly what they had to do. And his eye for detail was incredible. And when you talk about Maradona, the one thing that Terry was, he never told you a lie. He told you how it was in the best possible way. I never knew him ever to disrespect anyone. I never knew it. In fact... It was so funny because when I was at Crystal Palace, we signed a player called Ricky Heppelet, lovely guy. And he signed him from Leighton Orient. And he'd been around a bit, Ricky. So, you know, it weren't like he was 21, 22. He was about 28, I think, at the time. He played a lot of games. And he signed this Ricky Heppelet. And I remember him saying to me, Silk, we're going to bring someone in midfield. It's going to give us a bit of bite and what we need in there. So I said, okay. So it brought him in. First two days training, he looked terrible. And I went up to Terry. I went, TV, are you sure you ain't made a mistake? Now, no other player would have said this to him in a million years, right? I said, he seems a great lad. He said, but he looks useless in training. So he doesn't look the level of all the players. Don't worry, Silk. Wait till he plays. He'll be playing tomorrow. I'm going to start him tomorrow. So he played. He was worse in the game. As he was in training, it was terrible. Anyway, about two weeks later, Terry, he got him on the bench and, and he weren't any better. And I said to Terry, I remember one day we walking off the training ground and went, TV, I think you've made a massive mistake here. He's absolutely useless. Terry did not answer me, right? I think he played a, a maximum of 15 games and he was mainly on the bench, coming off the bench rather than starting. And then Terry sold him to Chesterfield, who were like, you know, right down the leagues. And I remember when he sold him, I walked up to Terry at training. I went in TV, I told you, he was absolutely fucking useless. He looked at me, he said, yeah, but Silk, he weren't too bad in the air, though, was he? <laughs> and he just um, burst out laughing and jogged off. And he had this thing, Terry, you'd be on the training ground and he'd say, you silk, drive the ball at me, drive. And he'd be maybe 25, 30 yards away. You'd drive the ball at him. He would either open his legs or move out the way and the ball would go right down the end of the fucking pitch and he'd go, silk, run after it. Remember, rule number one, trust no one. (laughs) (laughs) Rule number one, trust no one. And he also had this, this saying, which was so true, it's so true. Everybody always says to you, practice makes perfect. But he had a different saying. He used to say, practice makes permanent. Mm. And it is so true. The more you practice something, the more permanent you become at it. And he used to say that if you are making a mistake and you're practicing wrong and you're still practicing the mistake, you will become permanently good at making the same mistake. So he said, always remember, practice makes permanent. Mm. Practice doesn't make perfect. Why do you think after England 96, 
when, you know, despite us going out in the semi-final, anyone, he was loved by the nation. Why don't you think he then went on to a big club job? I know he leads in Middlesbrough, Australia. Why don't you think it worked out for him? Do you think that was that was his pinnacle? That's where he wanted to be England and everything was always going to be going downhill? In a way, yes. Um, I spoke to Terry a lot at that time. He even told me why he wasn't going to get a new... He said to me, I'm not getting a new contract. They're going to make me an offer, but the offer will be so shit silk, they know I won't take it, yeah? And, it's you know, I'll be very open. He said to me, I'm on £4,000 a week. That's what I'm earning. And he said, there's a guy there. His name was Noel White. He was on the FA. He said, I'll never forget this. Terry... I don't think anyone really knew it. His first wife knew it, Christina. Maybe, maybe Tootsie knew it. Maybe, maybe his second wife knew it. He was closer to me in football, I'd say, football-wise than anyone. Certainly player. He was very close with Arnie Warren and, and what. But as a player, I don't think he was closer to any player than me. And we had a million conversations. He would phone me sometimes three times a day. And he said to me, I've got a problem, Silk, at the FA. So there's a guy there, Noel White. He's got a big influence there. He absolutely hates me. He thinks I'm flash. I'm a wide boy. And he said, he's not a nice person, Silk. He said, if you knew him, knowing you, you'd probably go and knock him out. You would not like him at all. And he said, he cannot stand me. So I know they want me out. They definitely want me out. And they want Glenn Hoddle in there. I know exactly what they want to do. And in fact, they did make him an offer. Now, everybody says they never made him an offer, but they did. And he, they knew he was going to turn it down. He was on £4,000 a week. He asked for 15 They offered him five. They said, we'll give you £5,000 a week, knowing he would say no. And he said no. And within a week, Glenn Hoddle was there earning £20,000 a week because Terry called me. He said they'd give the job. He called me before it was announced. He said they'd give the job to Glenn Hoddle Silk. He said, what did I tell you? And they're giving him twenty grand a week. And he said that White will do everything in his power to destroy me now in football. And he's got such a big say in football. And I honestly believe that that guy destroyed Terry's reputation in football. And I think that's why Terry never took another big club because of him. Really? That's fascinating to hear. And, and it, it, um, it's funny, actually, because Terry, they, they did something on telly the other night. They, they called this guy someone like, um, some name they gave him. It was a guy called Gordon Williams. And Gordon wrote Hazel with Terry. Yes, Hazel, Nicholas Paul. But they called him something else on television. When they were doing on Sky Television, they were doing a documentary on Terry. They called this guy something completely different. They got the initials right, GW, but he, they didn't call him Gordon or Williams. They got some name from somewhere. And Gordon Williams, I knew very well. I got on great with Gordon, great. And I had such admiration for Terry. And I, 
And Gordon said something to me that made me realise just how much Terry thought of me. Because Gordon one day said to me, Silky, can't you get Terry to pack up football? I said, how can I get him to pack up football? He said, because you are the only person he listens to. And when I look back at that now, that's a massive thing. That's huge for me. But he could have been a TV presenter. He was a TV celebrity. He could have turned his hands to so many things. And the thing that annoys me is that nowadays players got such money, advisors, this one, that one, packets of money, investing. This was the time when you couldn't be seen to have other interests apart from football, which loads of people did. That's a joke. You couldn't do anything other you couldn't do anything other than football. It was ridiculous. I know. It was so ridiculous. And and Gordon said to me, Terry can become a multi, multi-millionaire. And then, then Terry come back in the room. We were in a hotel right. in a, and having coffee. And Terry come back in. And Gordon, I, Gordon said, tell him what I've been telling you. I went, TV, Gordon wants me to get you to pack up. Oh, he said, Gordon, don't drive me mad. You know I love football. I can't walk away from football. And Gordon said to me, there you go. Complete lunatic. He went, he's mad. He can make fortunes. He said, we can do films. We can do books. We can do everything. He said he can do anything he wants to do. He's got the ability. And and, and Gordon said, you know what, Silky? You and Terry are so alike because you've both got the ability to do anything. You can both sing. You can both tell jokes. You've both got a great sense of humour. You're both so witty. You both think of things like that, like grease lightning. He said, you're like clones of each other. And Terry went, why do you think I've took him everywhere with me? I went, yeah, but not fucking Barcelona. <laughs> and he burst out laughing, oh, you know. Um, and that was how I found Terry. And, in fact, it's quite sad. I know, uh, you know, Terry, as a lot of people know, ended up got Alzheimer's. And I knew there was a big problem. When we were at Hatchets, a few things happened that, weren't quite Terry. But then what happened a few years ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago, I phoned Terry up to see how he was. And I went, TV, silks. He went, silks, how are you going? I said, good TV. And we spoke. And some of the things he said in the conversation were not making sense. All football related, but they were making no sense. And we spoke for maybe 10 minutes, and I'd say three minutes made no sense at all. Yeah. And I understood then something was wrong. So I put the phone down. I went, TV, let's keep in touch. Put the phone down. Within about two minutes, my mobile rang, and it was a withheld number. And I answered it. I went, hello. He went, Silks, TV. I went, TV, how are you? I thought he'd forgotten to tell me something, but he'd actually never realised that he'd spoke to me. Because he went, just been thinking about you. Um, and we're chatting away, very similar to before. Said goodbye. Within a minute, my phone rang again and we were with him. And I thought, can't be TV again. Answered the phone. I went, hello. He went, Silks, TV. I went, TV, how are you? He said, just been thinking about you. And that sadly happened five times. How heartbreaking. How and heartbreaking. I put the phone down the last time. 
and I started crying. And then the phone rang again on a withheld number. And I've got tears in my eyes now. And I couldn't answer it. Because if I'd have answered it, I'd have been crying while he was on the phone and he'd have asked me why I'm crying. And I've never lied to Terry. Never, ever lied to him. And I couldn't lie to him now. What a so, disease to get for someone so vibrant, as you said, so clever, so witty, so to bright. then get that illness. And so I, I you know, and again, a lot of this hasn't come out in the press. It's beating now. And I think the family were right to protect him, to keep him away from stuff. He did withdraw from the from the football world. And you know to. why. You know why. Um, yeah, I know. Exactly. We had Paul Hawksby on the uh, Spurs show yesterday, and he said we had him about six, seven years ago doing something, beginning the season at Leeds. And you could see it wasn't – there was something amiss then. I mean, that's what the disease does. You yeah, know. and it's – and I say to people, when I look at how quick-witted he was and how bright he was, I mean, the Jimmy Greaves story was was brilliant. I don't know if you know the Jimmy Greaves the, story. The minus. When, when um, Terry was at Chelsea when he was, when he was young, Jimmy Greaves was then at Chelsea, and they both lived in Dagenham. So Jimmy used to pick Terry up and take him, train him, take him to the games. So on the Friday... He said, Jimmy said to him, Terry, I'll pick you up and we'll, we'll leave early. And Terry thought was leaving a bit early. He left at something like 10 o'clock to get to Chelsea, like three hours. It was like an hour and a quarter drive. And, he, and Jimmy stopped in Dance Hill. He's gone to a restaurant like a cat. He said, what are you doing? He said, got to get something to eat. So Terry thought he'd get a bit of toast or something like that. So he said, got out. He said, and Jimmy's ordered. Like roast beef, potatoes, vegetables. He said this huge plate of food come up. And he said, I was struggling to have a bit of boiled chicken. And then he said, I said to Jimmy, like, what are you doing? He said, I have this every match day. And he said, he's absolutely finished the plate. He's got in the car and I'm thinking, how's he going to be out of run? Like, you can't run with that inside your body. He said, we turn up the Stamper Bridge. He looks at his watch. Jimmy says, see, Terry, we're early. Still got here with loads of time. He said, we'll play West Bromwich Alvin. We've gone out and won 5-0. And he scored four goals, Jimmy. And he said, I remember thinking, now I know where I'm going wrong. I'm eating the wrong food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Barry, it's so lovely to have you on this uh, tribute show. Some wonderful, wonderful memories Wonderful stories, and I'm I'm really sorry for you who's lost someone so dear to you, someone oh, so close I'm, to I'm you. Just, the biggest, other than my mum and dad, he was probably in my working life the biggest influence in my working life ever. He was a genius. He was brilliant. He was a man manager. He knew when to close the shop up. He knew when he could let players get on with it and do what they want. And if they overstepped the mark, he would, in public, always support the players. He would always, always support the players. He would never, ever, in public, have a go at one of these players. Behind closed doors, in his office, he might say, what the fuck were you thinking of? Yeah? In public, he backed everyone to the hilt, Mike. He was 
probably the best manager that any player who ever played for him would ever have. And I'd say the best coach that any player that ever played for him would ever have. I've got no doubt whatsoever about that. That was part one of our Terry Venables documentary. Join us very soon for part two, when we'll be looking at his time at Crystal Palace, Queen's Park Rangers and Barcelona. Sports Social Podcast Network.